Hello, PsycU and Nephew communities, and welcome to today's recording where we will discuss the current state of women's health. My name is Dr. Becky Wong, and I am the Neuroscience Senior Medical Science Liaison here at Osaka Pharmaceutical. Today, I am joined by Dr. Sandra James, Rima Khan, and Kelly Reed. Dr. Jane is an adjunct clinical affiliate for the School of Nursing at the University of Texas, Austin, and co-founder of Wild 5 Wellness, a wellness intervention that combines five elements of wellness into a prescriptive, easy-to-follow program. She also operates a private psychotherapy practice. Dr. Jane's research focuses on wellness and the impact of positive psychology on clinical outcomes, exploring the connection of wellness and anti-inflammatory effects, and improvement in disease and wellness marker. She received an MA from the University of Houston, Clear Lake, a PsyD from Southern California University for professional study, and is a licensed professional counselor. Dr. Khan is an assistant professor of clinical medicine within the Division of Nephrology at The Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. Dr. Khan received her medical degree from Northeast Ohio Medical University and completed her fellowship at Ohio State. Upon joining faculty at Ohio State, Dr. Khan has become the lead nephrologist in cystic kidney disease care and was instrumental in developing a specialty program at Ohio State with an emphasis in ADPKD and CKD. Dr. Khan continues to advocate for improved patient care and is an active member in multiple associations and committees, including the National Kidney Foundation, the Internal Medicine Quality and Patient Safety Committee, and the Internal Medicine Diversity and Inclusion Committee. And my colleague, Dr. Reed, who is the Nephrology Senior Medical Science Liaison at Osaka, will be joining us for this exciting discussion. Thank you all for your participation. Now, according to the World Health Organization, women make up 75% of healthcare practitioners and 87% of healthcare staff. Sandra, as a clinician yourself, what do you believe are some of the greatest risks women healthcare practitioners or staff are facing now and potentially in the future? Well, that's such an important question, Becky. Thank you for asking that. But I wanna start by just saying how grateful I am that we've all come together today to address this really important topic. You know, in general, for so many, this pandemic has highlighted so many fears and concerns, including our health, that you know we're afraid of becoming ill, we're afraid of losing those we love, those that we're caring for to the virus. And we have to also consider economic fears of losing our businesses, losing our jobs. And let's just be honest, I mean, for women, we earn less. We're at an increased risk during the pandemic. And this is a lot for anyone to manage all at once. But if I may, if I could speak for just a moment in more detail about different ways that the pandemic has really tested all of us as women. And I'll do this, I'll speak from the space of mental health care practitioners, since that really is my area of specialty. You know, for many of us, we've converted our practices to telepsychiatry, we've done an excellent job. So now, like many, we're working from home, and many of us and our patients, we really like it, but there's an interesting twist. Everyone else is at home too. Some are working, some are doing schoolwork online, others much younger, they need our full-time attention. So this situation really has been intensified also for single parent moms 
who end up being, I mean, honestly, they're 100% responsible for taking care of the household, children, themselves, and others, uh, caring for elderly parents, friends, um, and again, our patients. So even talking about this, I have to share with you, I start to feel a little bit overwhelmed, a little bit of anxiety because it really is a lot to manage. We have to also think about self-care. What about our time to restore, to recharge? What's the line that divides work from home? I bet we'd all agree the line is sadly uh, dissolving. So this is a perfect formula for burnout. And like other practitioners across all specialties, we in mental health, we're dealing with our own personal traumas as well as those that our patients are struggling with. You know, I've heard that four times as many women as men left the workforce in 2020 due to the challenges we've talked about, childcare, issues related to demands that's being placed on uh, moms and dads as well of homeschooling, daycare, summer camps have closed out, we care for aging parents, and not to mention just home management responsibilities. This is a tough and difficult decision that we as women, we are forced to confront it. And this obviously, it really may add to the emotional challenges and all of the stress that we're facing. So in response to COVID-19, we're seeing a rise in mental health disorders, and sadly, there's more to come in the future. So we need practitioners to care for these patients. Um, and it's clear that many women are reducing their hours. They're simply stepping away from their work to take care of all these other demands. So the degree of stress, depression, anxiety, in response to all of this, it's high, it demands our attention. I don't think I can walk away from this question without speaking to death by suicide. Uh, in general, not in response to COVID-19, about 400 physicians die by suicide each year. And sadly, female physicians are at a higher risk than their male counterparts to die by suicide. And they attribute the risk to challenges of integrating work-life responsibilities and various disparities within the work setting. So we're at a higher risk for conditions like major depression. Interestingly, we're about that's about twice as common for women as for men. So it's not a pretty picture. There's much here that demands our attention as we move forward in dealing with this pandemic. So after all that, let me stop here and ask my colleague, Becky, would you be so kind as to speak to your experiences? Thank you, Sandra, for sharing that with us. And I'm just going to touch on the aspect of self-care because I think that's really important. And actually, for me personally, it took a while for me to figure out that all of us need self-care and it's not being selfish. It's actually a nurturing process that all of us need. And it's important for all of us when we think about we need to put ourselves first um, before we can, you know, help other people. And many times as a mother, as a healthcare provider, we don't do that. And I think it's important that we need to step back and recognize that we need to give our body our mind and ourself a break sometime if we do want to prevent burnout from happening, which is very commonly seen among healthcare professionals that Sandra, you pointed out. And I also want to add that in the 2020 Mesgate Physician Burnout Suicide Report, women, again, have shown consistently throughout the reports of having a higher percentage of burnout over men. And we touched on, you know, besides the workplace responsibility, household burden, 
domestic labor, and yes, domestic labor is a big contributing factor in regards to affecting women's health, the pandemic definitely added additional layer of burden. And we have seen in data showing that women health had adversely been affected during this time. Sandra, can you, can you talk a little bit about, you know, the COVID-related economic effect that's impacting women right now? That's such a great question, Becky. I'd be happy to. You know, I've seen from the data that's coming out that women, again, sadly, were just more vulnerable to COVID-19 related economic effects because of, we all know, existing gender inequalities. And the data suggests that women make up about 43% of all job losses. I was really surprised at how high that number is. So, you know, I've talked some about why women are deciding to step out of the job market to care for this big bundle of responsibilities as we're facing COVID-19. But Rima, I'm wondering, I'd love to ask you, how have you seen COVID-19 and the resulting sort of quarantine sheltering in place affect women in the workplace? And, you know, I'm thinking about those that have lost their jobs, they're primarily working from home, and thinking about it particularly from a research and clinical productivity for women as compared to men. Now, sorry, Rima, I know that was a big old mouthful, but I really am wondering, what are you seeing? Sure, absolutely, thank you. Um, so I think that uh, Sandra and Becky had sort of touched on this earlier, but you know, gender inequalities have always existed, but the COVID-19 pandemic has really shed light on it. And now the effect on women is certainly more pronounced as they have to do all of the unpaid work. So most of the time women are considered to be the caregivers and whether that's for the elderly or for their children, um, this again is the unpaid work. Um, with regard to research and clinical pro productivity, um, there was a really nice article that came out in JAMA in September of 2020 um, with regard to this uh, research and clinical productivity for women physicians specifically. Uh, the overlying assumption is that women adjust their professional roles to accommodate their personal ones. Um, and again, you know, this isn't necessarily women physicians, um, you know, in, in many different career paths, this is the case. Uh, so, you know, women are taking on less clinical time, less leadership roles, and this ultimately results in less promotion and less advancement in their careers. Um, you know, overall, this is really hindering career progression, um, but above all, this actually stigmatizes, um, you know, and again, you know, in specifically for women physicians, this stigmatizes women physicians. So there's this regressive effect um, where, you know, one might feel that they can't advance in their career because of all the other responsibilities that have been added by the COVID-19 pandemic. Yes, thank you, Rima. And, and to, to, to piggyback on that, and, and as, as uh, Sandra, you had, you know, spoken about earlier and alluded to, is that interestingly, at the beginning of 2020, the women's participation within the labor force was stood at 58%. And by September of 2020, you know, the, we, the women left the workforce by 865,000 women left. That's, that number is staggering compared to men with 216%. You know, we talked about women finding it challenging to care for either children or the elderly uh, and continue full-time paid work. They had a disproportionate amount of childcare educational responsibilities and additional household responsibilities that they had to take on. And it became very challenging for them to continue with that paid work. And unfortunately, women's em employment took a big hit early on in the pandemic 
when many of the layoffs and furloughs were concentrated in female-dominant industries, such as retail sales, hospitality, entertainment. And women who have lost their jobs or have chose to leave the workforce can suffer long-term damage to their careers. Employers are also likely to suffer because their, their you know, top talent ex is exiting the workforce. And this has a rippling effect you know, for women not only losing wages and benefits, but future retirement assets as well. The more time they spend out of the workforce, the harder it is to get back in, and then they have decreased retirement down the road. I think the significant departure of women from you know, the workforce is likely to have a lasting impact on some of the strides that have been made with women's workforce participation, as well as the gender wage gap. And speaking of sort of gender gaps, um, you know, nephrology has been a male-dominated discipline with women accounting for only approximately 30% of nephrologists. Disparities which existed pre-pandemic. Um, Rima, can you speak maybe a little bit about the impact or have you seen the impact of COVID-19 affecting your fellow women nephrologists? So I'll just speak in general about women physicians, um, not specific to nephrology. Um, there was an article in the Journal of Hospital Medicine um, that you know discusses that women in general are pursuing um, medicine. The number of women has increased, um, but with regard to compensation, promotion, and academic rank, um, you know there are still disparities that exist there. Um, women physicians are more than likely to have a full-time spouse as well, so you know they are left paying more attention to the household. Um, if their kid, if they have kids. Um, certainly school closings and daycare closings, they're left with this emergency care. Um, and women are now working full time. They're expected to be that emergency care. And now they may even be the teacher for their children who are being you know, schooled at home. Um, so certainly this is a, a, a large task and a huge role to fulfill. Um, and you know, women in administrative and leadership roles specifically also may struggle with their role in those positions as well. Um, speaking as a nephrologist, however, uh, the bulk of what we actually do is inpatient medicine. Um, and so, you know, I think that has sort of been somewhat of a hindrance because um, we don't always have that telehealth option. Um, and so that has certainly been challenging when it comes to taking care of the household or taking care of children. Um, and, you know, another layer of this is the, the worry about exposure. Um, there's, there's a constant guilt and worry about exposing children and family members. And, you know, there's, there's this disparity that exists with our male counterparts because we don't really have that option to self-isolate. Um, I remember in the beginning of this pandemic, uh, I had a lot of friends um, who were able to isolate from their families to prevent exposing their family members from getting sick. Um, but, you know, for me specifically at the time, I had a newborn child and I, I wasn't able to separate or self-isolate. And so there was a constant worry and a guilt of, of uh, you know, bringing illness home. Um, and so that was honestly just an added stress. Thank you, Rima, for sharing that with us. And, and I totally agree with you with the added stress of exposure, the fear of contaminating your house and then getting your loved ones ill, it, it, it's definitely a, a huge barrier when we think about whether or not we want to go back to the workforce. And in, in regards to that, you know, sex and gender differences have been reported in both psychological and behavioral responses to the pandemic. And research have shown that women have lower quality of sleep and sleep efficiency. 
and greater symptoms of insomnia, anxiety, depression, and trauma. Sandra, you, you touched on this earlier about increase in mental health needs and services, but have you seen this in your practice and what has your experience been with that? Yeah, absolutely, I've seen that. And you know, while I don't wanna generalize, my overall impressions from clinical work are absolutely, they're indeed in line with what you just described, Becky. I mean, my female patients, and I don't think this will come as a surprise to anyone, um, they are usually the caretakers of their family, uh, and that responsibility frequently is extended to parents, in-laws, neighbors, friends, their kids. I mean, we can see the list is very long and ever-growing. Um, every, I mean, well, let me say this, even single women take on the role of caretaker. Uh, they tend to do that with their friends, their family of origin, their parents, siblings, co-workers as well. So if we take that knowledge clinically of what we tend to see and we put it in the context of COVID-19 and so many uh, of us, Becky, Kelly, Remy, you guys all spoke about this, but schools closing, daycare facilities shutting down, um, parents, especially the moms, we're taking off time from work to care for children that are now at home full-time and doing online schooling. And at points during the pandemic, I mean, we were stuck at home doing due to sheltering in place orders. And what we saw is isolation, this sense of isolation and disconnection from others. It was on the rise and it, 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 it took a big toll. Um, and this is what happened. Our regular schedules were simply disrupted and stress levels shot through the roof. So the combination of all those factors for some people really has negatively impacted their sleep schedules, their quality of sleep, uh, depression and anxiety levels, again, on the rise. And basically our overall mental well-being has truly suffered. Now, that's my clinical impression, but we certainly, there are a lot of surveys out, some data uh, studies on this, and I wanna share one, a survey to really put it into perspective of COVID-19. So this survey came out of Canada. This is what they found. About 57% of people who completed the survey reported poor quality of sleep, and about a third reported increased symptoms of anxiety. They also found this, that sleep disorders as well as anxiety disorders, I hate to say it, but they were more prevalent in women as compared to men. So based on everything that we've been talking about today, this really does all start to come together and make sense. So it's good to know that the data supports what most of us suspect, that when we are worried about something like COVID-19, Rima, you spoke to this, the worry about bringing an illness home, the worry about getting sick, infecting other people, um, some really begin to experience an increase in lots of things, anxiety, general distress, worry, depression, and as a consequence, sadly for many, their sleep is the first thing to suffer. So I'll, I'll kind of add this as what we might do in light of all that information. This is all the more reason during COVID-19, during these difficult times, for all of us to really pay attention to our schedules and do our best to try to keep them as consistent 
as possible, not always easy, not always doable, but for us to at least be mindfully aware of that. Do our very best to make sure that we're practicing good sleep hygiene practices. Because honestly, without good quality restorative sleep, for many of us, we know that things like mood and anxiety are often negatively uh, and seriously impacted. So Dr. Kang, I, I, uh, Rima, I want to ask you, I mean, COVID-19, we just talked about that. It impacts our sleep. It's damaging to our mental health. And I'm wondering, what, what is the impact of COVID-19 just on our general overall health? What does it look like in terms of men and women? And what are you seeing in your practice? Are women more at risk for just general health challenges? Um, and one last thing, I so want to hear your thoughts on preventative care in light of COVID-19. Sure. Thank you, Sandra. Um, I, I think it's pretty well known at this point now, a year into the pandemic, that men actually tend to have higher morbidity and mortality when it comes to COVID-19. Um, but specifically with regard to women, um, we talked about job losses. We talked about working from home. So, you know, now we've added this complicating factor where women may not have sufficient funds or may not have the time to actually make it to their preventative care appointments. Um, so, you know, whether it be pre preventative care or, or just care in general. Um, specifically, uh, with regard to the pregnant population, um, we do know that pregnant women are at risk for uh, more severe illness um, in, with COVID-19 compared to non-pregnant women. Um, and those individuals may not be getting the, the routine prenatal care that they, that they so need. Um, and again, because whether it's financial constraint or, or those time constraints, um, and then just to touch on that a little bit further, uh, you know, with regards to a vulnerable population, this population also has experienced a delay in, in care in a sense. Um, and again, this is quite ethically complex, but um, pregnant and breastfeeding women were not studied in the early vaccine trials either. Um, so that just kind of adds an, another layer of complication to overall health of women. Thank you, Rima, and thank you, panelists, for joining us today. I really enjoy all the insights and personal stories that each of you has shared with us. And leaving today's discussion, can each of you provide our audience what types of coping skills or resources have you seen to be beneficial at this time? Personally, I have downloaded some mindfulness and meditation apps. Many of the apps offer structural programs with a lot of choices. And I really like the reminder function on these apps because it helped keep me engaged and also a great reminder for myself to practice self-care. There's a lot of um, health apps that are available. So I do encourage everyone, before you download anything, please ensure whatever you're downloading will meet the specific needs that you're looking for. And with that, I'm gonna ask Sandra, um, what resources or coping skills uh, would you like to provide to our audience that has been beneficial at this time? Sure, thanks Becky. Uh, I love what you talked about, mindfulness meditation apps, because that is a big part of my uh, clinical research work, clinical practice, so uh, I support that fully. Uh, but I'll add just a couple of more thoughts about this. You mentioned earlier in introductions about the uh, evidence-based wellness program. We have a 30-day program that's called Wild 5 Wellness. And interestingly, it focus on, focuses on five different wellness-enhancing practices, including exercise, 
mindfulness meditation, to your point, Becky, sleep, social connectedness, and optimized nutrition, as well as really benefiting from positive psychology practices. And this, I mean, these are all things that we can use during these difficult and trying times, and we now have evidence to show that they really are effective. Uh, finally, I'd love to encourage people to check out a website that we've recently created that's called Jan Uplift, and it focuses on uplifting news and resources in four different areas. So wellness, resilience, which is super important in light of all these difficulties, a uh, section on psychopharmacology, and also psychedelics. So I invite you to visit the site. It's uh, www.januplift.com. And hopefully you'll find lots of, lots of stuff that's uplifting and inspiring because honestly, during this difficult time of this pandemic, we certainly could use some uplifting news. Mm -hmm. Rima, how about you? Um, I, I think a major outlet for me uh, during this pandemic has been audiobooks. Um, I've downloaded quite a few. Um, and again, with our time constraints and, and the limited amount of time we have to really take care of ourselves, I found that, you know, those however many minutes in the car, I've been able to get through several novels. And, and it's really been a nice outlet and, and sort of an ex escape uh, from, you know, the everyday life. So that's been my personal outlet. And how about you, Kelly? Ah, well, one silver lining for me with this whole pandemic was I was able to uh, re reignite, I guess, my uh, physical activity uh, regimen. Um, I have a Peloton bike at home. I'm fortunate enough to have that. And I got to use it a lot during the pandemic early on, especially when we were stuck at home and there wasn't much else to do. And I wasn't driving my kids all over sports activities and events. So I was able to jumpstart that and really have been able to make an effort to continue on with that. And for my own, my own mental health, it was incredibly important during this pandemic. Well, um, so at closing, you know, this global pandemic has had a profound impact on our society and life as we know it, you know, the full extent uh, of which we may not know until years to come. COVID-19, I think, as, as you know, many of you have alluded to, has amplified our existing societal issues. However, I think an important opportunity exists here to rethink how our society supports women's roles as both the financial provider as well as parents and caretakers for their children as well as their family members and friends. And really how that overall impacts their physical and mental health. And ultimately what changes need to take place so that we are not just patching up a broken system but creating a better one. And I think on that note, I we will end our program. And I want to say a big thank you to our panelists, Dr. Becky Wong, Dr. Rima Kang, Dr. Sandra Jane. Your insights have been incredibly helpful during this time. I want to thank our nephew and psyche communities for joining us today in our discussion, The Current State of Women's Health, which is brought to you jointly by Nephew and Psyche and sponsored by Atsuka Pharmaceutical Development and Commercialization. We hope you enjoyed today's discussion, and we look forward to seeing you again here on either Psyche or Nephew. Thank you.